My name is Daniel. It's nice to see you all. I normally get to get up here and I say one good thing and I want to try this. I'm going to say, good morning, church. Good morning. morning. Excellent. I'm well. Thank you for asking. (laughs) So today is kind of a special day for me. I found out on Wednesday that today, you're trying to take a picture. I'm going to be walking around this entire time. I apologize. I found out on Wednesday that um, my today's going to be my last Sunday here at Living Word. I was, I was slated, I'm going to be the head pastor at Arlington United Methodist Church, which is in Bridgeton, Missouri, not Texas, but Bridgeton, Missouri, and I'm supposed to be starting there in November, but I've been given a gift by this congregation. Um, my, my duties and responsibilities here have kind of waned. They haven't been giving me new things to do because why would they do that? Because I'm going to be leaving soon. And so they literally said, Daniel, we're granting you leave I have been given the next two months to plan out my sermons for the new church. I've been given two months to to literally rest, get my home in order. And so today is my last sermon here. And I did not know that when I started writing this sermon on Monday. And I'm really happy that this is actually my last sermon. This sermon today is important. And I never thought I'd say that because it's like the first, we're, we're moving through the New Testament. We've been doing that as a church. Today, my scripture passage comes out of Galatians. I never thought that my last sermon at Living Word would be on the first two chapters of the book of Galatians. I just never did that. Like, that's not something I would have necessarily chosen. But it turned out to be kind of a beautiful thing. And so today, as we start this new sermon series in the book of Galatians, I hope you hear it and I hope you... If nothing else, kind of understand what this passage did to me this week because the timing was perfect. You see, we call it the book of Galatians, but in reality, it's a letter. It's the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian church. Some people even think this is one of his first letters. So this is a pastor writing to a congregation basically about all the problems that they're dealing with and how like, they're gonna work through this together. And the passage that I'm reading comes out of Galatians chapter two. And in the commentary, I love this. It says, Paul's passionate response to Peter. So today we're talking about a passionate response, which is commentary language for a pre-Twitter Twitter battle. It's literally just Paul being sassy and arguing with Peter about their disagreements, but he's framing it in context of the church. You see, we have this concept that the Bible is not always very relevant, but you're gonna notice today The problems that the church is having in this book is the same problems we're having today, and it's fascinating. Now, it's my last day. I'm going to do what I like to do. I'm going to tell you guys a story. I'm going to tell you guys a couple of stories. Unfortunately, because we're talking about Scripture, that makes perfect sense. The first story I'm going to talk to you about, and I promise you it's relevant, is about my son Ezra. I have a four-year-old son, about this big now. He thinks he's 30. He knows everything, and he will tell you that. And yesterday, or Friday, not yesterday. When I say yesterday, I'm a yonder person. That means whenever. So on Friday, I got an opportunity to take my son to eat, which is actually not a very thrilling activity at his age, but I had my parents with me. So grandma's there, and they're taking care of him. We went at that magical hour on Friday. We were at the restaurant at 5 p.m. We are the only ones in this restaurant. I'm like saying a lot, like, thank you but we made a mistake. You see, we put my son in the chair facing the door so that every time someone came into the restaurant, he got to see them. Now, I don't know if you know much about four-year-olds, but this prompted my son to greet loudly every single person who came through that door. 
He has a shrill, tiny voice, and everyone heard it. One person legitimately almost fell up the stairs when, she, when he yelled at them. Hello! <laughs> no context. No like, hey, how are you? Just, hello! And now I find myself in this restaurant, and what I love, like these parenting awkward moments where I'm like, Ezra, it's really good what you're doing. It's, I'm just so thankful that you want to include everyone, but they're not here for you, and you can't keep making noise like this in a restaurant, right? I had to tell my four-year-old, I just crushed his little dreams. He's like, you can't do this. This is, you know, there's etiquette. There's, the proprieties must be observed. Like, come on, kid. Every silverware is a symbol. Like, he just, he just makes noise. And I'm, as I'm sitting here explaining to my son the do's and don'ts of restaurants, I realize, like, my kid has no concern for this whatsoever. He has not yet developed an understanding of the intricacies of social constructs. He just doesn't care. And then I started thinking about it, because I'm preaching about, like, one of the biggest problems that the church is having, it's all around food, so this is a very appropriate scenario. But do you realize how much... Etiquette really plays a part in what we do. Do you realize the social constructs that keep us in order? I forgot about it because I've just been doing it naturally, but my son, like seeing it, it reflected. He has no concept. There are rules, and they are meant to let us know who and how and what we're doing, right? How many of you have ever eaten at a friend's house and they tell you that awful thing? They say, oh, go ahead, sit anywhere. Uh-uh. Y'all sit in the same chair every night. I know you. They told me that at a friend's house one time. I sat down and there's like, sit anywhere. I was like, all right. I was dumb enough to believe him. And my friend's brother sat across from me. I was clearly in his chair. And he didn't even look at his food while he ate. He just stared at me. <laughs> and I'm like, I have breached a social contract here. Like this, I have messed up. If you may need further understanding of this, how many of you have ever eaten in a cafeteria? Yeah, no one ever eats comfortably in a cafeteria. The place is a place of fear. We send our kids into these places, and there's like, if the table's full, where do you go? Do you start a new table? Do you go eat with the one person that's over there? Why is he over there by himself? That's probably not a good idea. I'm not going to do that. By the way, youth pastors love to ask kids to do that, by the way. Anytime we're talking about faith application, anytime we're talking about like, how can you show your faith to the world? For whatever reason, every youth pastor's like, you should just be eating lunch with those people who don't have friends. Like that's gonna make you a martyr. The reason that is terrifying, the reason we ask people to do that is because we realize that the social constructs of even something like eating together throws us for a loop. Have you ever tried to eat with someone who you weren't allowed to eat with in a cafeteria? Oh my gosh. I'm telling you this because this is exactly what the Galatian church is dealing with. It's not the, their only issue, but they're having issues about dining with one another. They're not good at it. And not that they don't know where the forks go. I'm saying they literally don't know how to eat with people they don't know. You see, the church is relatively new, right? Jesus is a new thing. You have the followers of Jesus who were traditional Jewish, right? They had been growing up. They'd been practicing the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law had what foods you're allowed to eat, where you eat them, who you eat them with. You generally don't eat with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And now in the early church, that's exactly what's happening. 
You have the Jewish community, who is the, those who are in that community who are starting to follow Jesus are suddenly finding themselves in social situations with non-Jews. The people they have been told that are sinful and that they really shouldn't interact with unless it's in like a prescribed method. Now we're eating at the table together. Guess what the Jewish people started doing? started going to their own table. They were like, eh, maybe this isn't a good thing. Missionaries started coming out. They were being told like, yes, we're together, but mm, no. There was a natural segregation that was happening in the early church. Does that sound familiar? We're still afraid to eat with people we don't know. <laughs> this is something that the church is dealing with. So in if you ever think that the, the, the Bible is irrelevant, I don't know, I see this in the youth group, I see this, I saw this in a district meeting the other day. I went into a meeting and there were literally like age groups and friend groups pocketed everywhere. Now Paul believes something different. He believes that these social constructs are nonsense. In fact, it's one of the core things of his faith is that these boundaries should no longer exist. When he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, he's preaching that Jesus died for everyone, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, everyone. He goes on to basically have this conversation with Peter, and I love it, because if you really know Paul, like we read this, and we're like, oh, those are, those are nice words. Paul is being like kind of rude on Twitter, is really the only way I can think about it. Listen to these words from Galatians chapter 2. Paul says this, he's been accused of eating with Gentiles and sinning by doing that, okay? And he says this, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, you can hear the sass, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because the works of the law, no one will be justified, Paul literally says, like, I'm a Jew like you. I know that we were separate from them. I'm telling you it's no longer the case. I'm telling you this, this nonsense that we're not allowed to eat with these sinners. Like you probably did air quotes, right? Sinners, those Gentiles. That's nothing anymore. Paul says it's, it's just nothing. Those boundaries no longer exist. And he's being sassy about it, outright just sassy. And he goes on to say, that we are bound together in Christ, that the law is not the place where we receive justification. It's not what makes us better people. Christ is what makes us better people. The law taught us about God, but when Jesus showed up, the law was completed. Something happened. That's the part that's unified. That's what we should be focusing on. He gets even more sassy, however. He goes on to say, but, remember, he has been accused of eating with sinners. Literally, they've been telling him, he's like, almost like he's serving sin to people every time they eat down, like he's a waiter of sin. He says, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? He's literally telling them like, okay, if it's sinful for me to eat with the Gentiles, well, we already covered the fact that we're bound together in Jesus and that Jesus wants us to be together. Are you honestly trying to sell the argument that Jesus led us to sin? He goes, absolutely not. If Jesus brought these two people groups together, how can it be sinful? He's, he's almost mocking Peter. <laughs> 
He goes on to say a really weird sentence. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. You're gonna hear as we continue in the New Testament, you're gonna hear Paul's language around destroying and rebuilding, and he uses these language. He's talking about the barriers. He literally has this understanding that the law separated these two groups. And when he started, when, when, when the Holy Spirit first started of coming to the Gentiles and they brought them into the church, that was the moment that that barrier was destroyed. That was the moment that that social construct of separation was scattered. He says, I will not rebuild that barrier. That would be the sin, is to reinforce those structures that separated us. He finishes, he says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He doubles down on his argument. He says, if the law worked, Christ wouldn't have come. If the law worked, then Christ died for nothing. He doubles down and he says, the way that this church should be is unified, not divided. These social constructs are nonsense. Do away with them. We are one in Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile. He actually goes on to say that, I'm not, we're not there yet, it's like chapter three. He goes on to say, we are one body. In the book of Ephesians, he goes on to say things like Christ is breaking down these walls. This is the language that shapes Paul's theology. It's what drives him to start new churches. It's what drives him to share the gospel with people. It's this idea of unity. Because that's what the church was struggling with. They were separating themselves because they thought they were different instead of focusing on the things that brought them together. Tell me that's not appropriate for our world right now. Let's take a look even deeper. You gotta remember the Jewish people, the cultural Jewish people, they thought they were more pure. They were a homogeneous community, right? They'd been doing things the same way for many, many years. Now you have people with this new ideology coming in. But here's the thing. We like to think that it's all just ideology. Friends, it's not. It's cultural. The Jews don't dislike the Gentiles just because they think differently. It's because they are, in fact, different. They come from different cultures, different ethnicities. They're from different parts of the world. And now they're all gathering together to worship God and they're struggling. The biggest testament to Jesus Christ is when the church unifies and worships together. Paul understood this and this is what Paul is preaching. You see, I used to think and I've actually said this in a sermon once in another place. I, I mean, we had this idea that Jesus spent his entire life on earth like bringing people out of nothing, right? Like he was going around, he was healing people, he was teaching people. And it was like in a world where everyone was so focused on everything horrible that was going on around them, that's just what they were. They became defined by the things that were bad. They became defined by their mistakes. They became defined by everything that was not real. And Jesus' ministry, he walked around and he just was taking chins and he was bringing their face up 
He said, you're, this, is not, this is like where you are now, but that's not where you're going. That's not the kingdom of God. Look up at me. And when they look at Jesus, they see that they're going somewhere, that the hope of the resurrection is out there, that that's where we're moving together. And I always had this idea that Jesus is literally just going around picking up hopeless people and taking them with him into the kingdom and how glorious that was. But friends, I learned something different this week. Jesus does do that, but there's another group of people. Jesus also spends a lot of his ministry in the synagogues, in the churches. And he finds people that aren't looking down, but that are looking straight up, trying to find God through like this legalism because that's how they've been told to find God and they're just focusing so far up that they don't even recognize what's happening around them. And friends, Jesus is picking chins up but he's also going through the synagogues and grabbing those chins and bringing them down. Saying, guys, this isn't a legal matter. Your relationship with God is not legal. It's not something that you must do the right things. Like you don't go to church and check off the box and God is like, yay. He's telling them that there's more, that this is relational. Look down. God is here. I am with you. The very word, like we call Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' ministry was teaching that God was for everyone. His death and his resurrection showed us that Christ's love is for everyone. We celebrate an open table at this church. We're United Methodists. We do that because we honestly believe that. And the reason we continue to celebrate it is because we're not there yet. Every time we take communion, we are reminded that we, are, we should be a unified church, that Christ's love was for everyone. We say things like open hearts, open minds, open doors, not because our doors are always that open, if we're being honest, or that our minds are always open, but that's because that's what we want to be, and we're going to keep saying it as a reminder until we do. Our church is still dealing with segregation. Our church is still dealing with socioeconomic issues. Our church is still dealing with the same thing that this church was doing, but I hope you hear the words of hope today, which is the same thing Paul said, that we are not meant to be divided. Our God is not a God of boundaries. Our God is a God of freedom. Christ died for everyone. Everyone is welcome. told you I wanted to tell stories. I have one more story. I did not know this would be my final story to you, but it's a powerful one, and it changed the way I understand God. It changed the way I understand the kingdom. See, I used to worship. We're talking about these social boundaries, these things that separate us, right? One of the worst things that churches have ever done, and I love it to this day, is the passing of the peace, where you actually have to stand up and you meet people. There is nothing more anxiety-inducing in a church building. I used to worship at a place and they, they, they took that Ephesians passage that I mentioned and they used to say every Sunday, they would say, Christ breaks down every barrier, every wall. We are no longer strangers, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Friends, we do not worship a God who believes in separation, we, whether that be social, whether it be emotional, physical, we do not worship a God who wants separation. We worship a God who wants unity. 
all people, all nationalities, all, all thoughts. That is the mosaic, that is the joy of the gospel. The story I wanted to share with you, um, most of you probably know some of this. A couple weeks ago, there was a very large shooting in El Paso, Texas. You remember that? That was an act of division born out of all of the separations that we as people have ever developed. I was at the Olive Garden caddy corner to that Walmart three days before that shooting. I was in El Paso for vacation. I remember eating at Olive Garden. I remember going home and asking my parents if we wanted to stop at that Walmart if they needed anything. I said no, we kept driving. I remember passing the Walmart. The Walmart was on my right and the uh, Juarez, the boundary for the country, was on our left. When I heard about that shooting, I was in Austin, Texas. I immediately called my wife immediately because I knew she knew where that Walmart was. I knew she was going to be shaken and me and her cried on the phone. We had this long conversation and then I realized something. You see, in spite of the division that was happening, Living Word actually had a group of youth right across the border in Juarez building houses. My immediate call was to Denise Denner. (laughs) I was like, Mama D. started thinking more about this, this story. I started realizing how much it hurt to realize that we were so divided that people would do that level of hate to another human being. I started thinking about it though, but I found out that, did you know God was working in these moments? Do you realize that while we as humanity are working to divide one another, that the work of God, the kingdom of God is striving to make us one? Do you realize that at that very moment we had youth building homes while someone was trying to destroy them? That's the kingdom of God. I remember when I was in El Paso, I didn't have time, we were about to take Ezra. There's a local artist there who found a whole bunch of pink metal, went down to the border and actually made seesaws in between the the slats in the wall. Oh my gosh, you got a picture. That was not there last time. Friends, do you see this? I'm gonna cry looking at this, I'm sorry. People have been wondering for many years what the kingdom of God looks like. That right there is it. That is people on both sides playing with one another in spite of the divisions that we are so very good at making. I normally end sermons with a call to action, like what, what are we going to do? Friends, the only thing I got for you is be creative in the ways you destroy divisions in your life. Make seesaws. <laughs> I've been here for four years. As far as I know, we've never built actual seesaws, but you should know that we are doing a lot of beautiful things and I've been paying attention. We dig wells. We cross borders all the time. We fill backpacks so that people have access to school supplies. We teach 
children how to read, which by the way, it's not just teaching children how to read, it's also interacting with people who should and are our neighbors, should be and are our neighbors. We're crossing a boundary when we go to Merrimack, even if you don't see it. We serve people who need help with medical expenses. We help provide them homes. Just take a look for a brief moment in any of the ministries that Living Word is doing. You will see seesaws. Friends, it has been an honor to be a part of this family. I have learned more in the last four years than I thought was possible. I cannot convey to you the level of love that I have in my heart for this community, the relationships that I've developed here. I'm gonna miss you. I'm trying not to cry right now. We're gonna get through this together though, I promise. I need to give a special thanks to the staff here at Living Word. I've had a lot of good coaches. I've learned how to be a part of a staff, mostly. I need to give a special thanks out to any of you who have ever helped me with anything youth-related. You have been a blessing not only to me, but to our youth. Your presence has been felt. Those relationships are real, and they have changed my life. I am still in ministry because of many of those relationships. The only reason I even had even a remotely successful ministry is because of those relationships. And friends, my last thank you is to you guys. Sorry. You guys have shown me the very face of God. I will never forget you. I love you. Thank you for teaching me. I'm gonna sit down now. (laughs) But thank you for everything. Amen.